today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 41, verses 41 to 52. Hear now the word of God. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. And thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called, to jo called Joseph's name Zephaneth Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Azaneth, the daughter of Pantipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great, great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azaneth, the daughter of Pontifera, the priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me faithful in the land of my affliction. This is the word of God. Hello, everybody. I just came back from a conference in Indianapolis. Um, every two years or so, the Gospel Coalition, it's a, it's a group that I enjoy following. They have a conference, and this year they had it in Indianapolis. And I really enjoyed myself. I remember sitting down and just listening to the word being exposited and preached, and I was like, tears were coming out because I was just enjoying it so much, um, just to listen to the word. And the gathering was about 8,500 people this year, of, you know, mostly pastors, but a lot of other lay people would come and gather. And you know there's nothing else to do in Indianapolis so I went to every single meeting, every single breakout, every single lecture, and then afterwards I would eat like Fridays because there's nothing else to eat. It's either, I think, American fast food, and there was one Mexican place, so I made sure I had, that, I had a taco before I left. And it was just such a blessing for me to be there. I was gonna tell you one funny thing that I've noticed. Because there were 8,500 people in Indianapolis at the time we were having the conference, the locals were kind of surprised, like they didn't expect us. So people would ask us, where are you guys from? And I, of course, would answer Korea. Oh, you mean not that question. Uh, I would answer, um, we're, we're, we're actually from a conference, and um, there's about 8,000 some odd people here. They're like, oh, okay. But they were asking because they were a little upset. Because every single eatery, it doesn't matter if it was like Jimmy John's, Chipotle, I didn't see a McDonald's there. All these restaurants, it doesn't matter what it was, 
there was about an hour to an hour and a half line just to get food. And it was insane. It was insane. So the locals who were on their lunch break would be very upset. And we would just say, don't come between 12 and 1.30. That's our lunchtime. And the more, most interesting part about that lunchtime was there was a little mall. And inside the mall was a Chick-fil-A. And the line for Chick-fil-A, I don't know if it's because we're Christians, we got to support each other. It's like, yeah, Christians. But the line for Chick-fil-A went around the block. If this is not surprising to you, I've got to repeat, this is Chick-fil-A. Come on. <laughs> I mean, like, the line for Chick-fil-A was around the block. And I was just, I was wow. It's like, wow, you know. Um, but I really had a good time there. Um, my favorite preachers were preaching. And um, just, I knew a lot of pastors from New Jersey that also went, but I didn't see them at all. That's how big this conference was. And I'd be, I'd be the nerd that would stand in line for the doors to open for a sermon. So they would, they would close all the doors to set up the sanctuary. And they go, oh, we're, we're going to open the doors an hour before the lecture. So I'd be one of those guys who stand online. But I got to tell you, you could be proud of your pastor because I didn't run. So once the doors opened, I walked just quickly as I could. <laughs> but I did not run. Uh, these younger guys, they ran to their seats and... I just walk quickly. I was like, yes, I must be an adult. But um, I really enjoyed my time there. I got back and we had an incoming freshman retreat led by Ho Young and our elders went. And that was such a blessing too to see even our younger generation coming up, looking forward to joining our church and just seeing what God is doing in our church and our global church is a huge blessing. You know, we're not just CGS. There are other churches out there, and we together are the body of Christ. And to be able to worship together at times is, is such a blessing. Uh, which leads me to, um, to say, I'm sure many of you have heard this morning when uh, some Coptic churches or Christian churches in Egypt were having their Palm Sunday worship just like us. Um, two churches were bombed, and I think <clears throat> I think right now the toll death toll is at 43 people. And I was just imagining because I was in Egypt um, a few few years ago, and I visited Coptic churches. And even though uh, traditionally Christians don't get tattoos because it was a pagan thing to do. Um, these Coptic Christians got tattoos on their wrists of a Coptic cross. And that's different from our culture. We get tattoos because it's cool. Um, they, got, they would get tattoos on their wrist of a Coptic cross because no matter who would see them, they would identify themselves or people would identify them as Christians. And that's dangerous in those times, in that place, in that area. And I can only, you know, just imagining this morning in prayer, um, you know, imagine us just, we're giving our Palm Sunday service. We gather together like we do every Sunday, and some, somebody comes up and tries to throw a bomb through the window. And that's just so tragic. And that's exactly what happened in these churches. Uh, and I thought maybe we can uh, perhaps lift up a prayer uh, for those churches that are suffering and especially those that lost uh, family members and loved ones uh, because of this incident. 
But let's pray together, and I want to lift up a prayer for them as we start. Lord, we know that your body consists of many parts. And if one part is in pain, the whole body suffers. And right now, we as your body, we as the church, we feel the pain and suffering of what went on in Egypt today. And we ask God for mercy. We ask God for a healing to take place even now as people are grieving and mourning over this horrific incident that took place. We ask because it is only possible, this healing that we seek, this peace that we seek, is only possible with you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We ask that you will cover your churches today as we enter into the most sacred time of the year for us as Christians, Holy Week. And we ask that you would be with us now as we reflect upon your word. We also want to give thanks to you because we are in a privileged seat. We get to hear the gospel being proclaimed. And none of us here have to really worry about our lives being lost at any second. We get to read your scripture out loud publicly. And let that scripture wash over us whenever we want, and what a privilege we have. And so with this privilege that we received, we, want, we do not want to take it for granted. At this time, at this place, Lord, won't you open our ears so that we can fully receive your word into our hearts. Renew our minds so that we may be transformed right now by the Holy Spirit to become more like you, to become disciples of Jesus, to be able to say and confess that no matter where you lead us, we will go. But Lord, speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, today's um, sermon will be a little bit about leadership. I just want to put that out there before I start. There was a train that was about to leave the railroad station, and the conductor began to take tickets. It was a large railroad station, so it takes a while to take the tickets. And looking at the ticket of the first passenger, uh, the conductor remarked, My friend, I think you're on the wrong train. But the man replied, uh, the ticket agent told me this was my train. After a little discussion, the conductor decided to check with the ticket agent, and before long, it became clear that the conductor was on the wrong train. When the leader is lost, how can the followers ever be on the right track? Leadership is important. It's important. It's important. Here in your Bibles, many of your Bibles, you might read this chapter, and there's a subheading before, and that subheading is Joseph rises to power. He becomes a leader. 
And we started in verse 41 because we ended in verse 40 last week. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge of all of Egypt. Because, before he says, because you're so wise and discerning, I'm going to do this. And only, only I will be above you. So this is what Pharaoh does. He takes off his signet ring and puts it on Joseph's hand. So he takes off his own ring, Pharaoh's seal, and puts it in Joseph's hand and clothes him in garments. And this is kind of almost reminiscent of many stories that we hear. But especially as Joseph was having this done to him, I can't help but to wonder, maybe he thought of the past, of when his father clothed him in that garment, the robe. And Pharaoh would do this for him. And more interestingly, he made him ride in his chariot. And in this chariot, they all called out before him. And in the ESV version, you should have bow the knee. Or in our probably everyday language, it probably would have been something like make way for Joseph. Make way. Or something like an announcement, hear ye. Joseph is now in power. Joseph is now your leader. And so this happens. And then in verse 44, something else interesting happens. It goes, moreover, and again, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. He continues to reaffirm Joseph again and again. And I don't know if it was for Joseph's sake or if it was for the people's sake. Maybe the people were like, you can't put this non-Egyptian in charge of us. Maybe it was that or because Joseph was still young. He was 30. And maybe he needed that reinforcement. I don't know, maybe a little of both. But Pharaoh continues to say this and reaffirm his leadership and even gives him an Egyptian name. And he not only does that, but I want you to kind of see this pattern. There's a constant affirmation and reaffirmation of Joseph's leadership. He has Joseph marry someone named Asnath, right? And Asnath is the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. He has Joseph marry royalty. So now since he's married royalty, he himself is royal. And so all this happens. And then at the very end of verse 45, Joseph goes over to look over the land. Now he needs to kind of scout out the land, see what he is in charge of. And Joseph was 30 when all of this happened. I like to see this as if we were in a play, um, this is like right before the intermission. This is act one. And we're coming to a close of act one of Joseph's life. And uh, it says here, and we continue to see uh, the narrator say that Joseph goes out, goes again to the land of Egypt. And verse 47, the seven plentiful years of earth produced Abundantly, he started to store up grain. He started to count because he's a good leader. 
And uh, it just goes to show that a good leader is one of character. So if you want to be a good leader, you need to have character. And Joseph had character. But number two, when we see here is, if you want to be a good leader, you need to be competent. You need to be competent. There are some of us that actually have good character here. We know the difference between right and wrong. We don't do the wrong things. We know what we should do. And we have good character. We don't cuss all the time or whatever, whatever you think that line of character is, right? Whatever you think that line is, you're there. But you're not competent. It's hard for you to be a leader then. If you've ever tried to be a leader, the struggle was there and you wonder, how come I can't do this? How come I can't lead people? The competency is there. Some of us are very competent. In fact, if we give you a task, boom, it's done. Like that's how competent you are. Pastor Gene, give me this task. I can do it. And in fact, you do it very well. But on the other side, your character is lacking. And if your character is lacking, then it's hard for people, no matter how competent you are, it's hard for people to see you as a leader because they don't respect you. And there is one saying that I would I share with my deacons uh, maybe a year or so ago is that if you think you're a leader and you're going out and no one is following you, then you're just going for a walk. A good leader needs both, character and competency. And we see here that Joseph actually has both. They're both not only harmonious with each other, but they're both in excellence. So he has both character and competency. But this is how much God blessed um, this bountiful seven years. There was so much that even Joseph couldn't measure it fully because like it says in verse 49, it was like the sand of the sea. Try to measure the sand of the sea. That's how much grain that he got. And so he stopped measuring it because it couldn't be measured. It was literally impossible. And before the year of famine came, Joseph has two children with Asana. First one is um, Manasseh, and the second one is Ephraim, and he names them both, and we'll get to that a little bit later. And then we kind of continue on where it says the narrator continues to kind of reinforce the seven years of bounty and the seven years of um, famine. Next point I really want to make is this, and we'll see this even in here, and leadership is heavy. Leadership is heavy. Um, Franklin D. Roosevelt, I'm sure you guys know him as FDR, had to work really hard to persuade Harry Truman to be his running mate in the 1944 president election. And Truman actually wanted to go to the Senate, but the incumbent VP, vice president, was Henry Wallace, and he was so, so unpopular. So Truman was approached, and with extreme reluctance, Truman finally accepted. 
On April 12, 1945, he was summoned to the White House. And there he was shown into Eleanor Roosevelt's sitting room where she told him President Roosevelt was dead. After a moment of stunned silence, Truman asked her, is there anything I can do for you? And she shook her head. Is there anything that we can do for you? She said, you're the one in trouble now. Leadership is heavy. And this is what Joseph is facing too because he knows what is to come. God showed it to him. Pharaoh believes him. And you see this all playing out. And when he goes on to name his kids, he does something really interesting. He calls the first, his first child Manasseh, which means um, God has made me forget all my hardship of my father's household. And the second one he called Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in this land of affliction. Interestingly enough, we don't know which land. He just says the land. So we don't know if it's Egypt or if it's his home. And um, Manasseh is very telling. That's if I go <clears throat> to a foreign country and I finally escape my really uh, treacherous brotherhood. I escape the oppression of my homeland and I come to this land and I succeed. In fact, I become prime minister of this land. And even Pharaoh gives me an Egyptian name, which is hard to pronounce, but that's his name. And then if you have, you marry somebody in royalty, all these things are happening. So he starts naming his kid. And I now, imagine I came from a foreign land, distant land, something like South Korea. Just, just imagine, it's hard to make that jump, but let's say I came from a distant land called South Korea and I come to this land, America, the U.S. of A, and I become president or prime minister and then I name my kid, and this is what I name my kid, Ijabarim. That, that's exactly what's happening here. And if you don't know Korean, that's cool because it's Korean. <laughs> In an Egyptian land where he becomes prime minister, he calls his son and names his son a Hebrew name. It's equivalent of me coming here and saying, my son's name is Ijabarim. And then all his school friends are like, what's his name? It's Lee Jaborim, right? And then you just, he just gets butchered for the rest of his life. It's Lee Jaborim, right? And then um, that's what happens. Manasseh is there. Same with Ephraim. You know, all these things, all these good things are happening and happen to Joseph. If anybody else thought of it, this is the dream. In fact, it was his dream. But he names his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. Ezebarim. What a name, right? It's as if no matter what happens... You just can't shake everything, can you? No matter how much success you get, and this is what you really want. You know, I grew up poor. I, I think um, 
it's a really general word, but I don't want to give my full testimony again, but we grew up in the very lower uh, like class of income. And I told myself I would never be a pastor because people always complain. It doesn't matter how much you pay the pastor, apparently. Even if you pay your pastor chump change, there's always someone that complains, like, this is too much. It's more than I get. And I would, as a kid, I'd be like, my dad's better than you, though. You know, he went to university. He got his degree in chemistry at Kodio, and I was so proud of him. And he's a smart man. He didn't know a lick of English. He came here, and he studied, he studied in a, a seminary here. It took him 45 minutes to an hour to read a full page because every single word he had to look up in the dictionary, and yet he still got A's in his seminary, which I went to afterwards, um, the same seminary. Like, he's better than you. How dare you... Um, even say that when you're paying him $14,000, how can you say, I was so angry as a kid. And I, I told myself, when I grow up, I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to support my parents. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I would share this and a lot of kids would actually, I would be surprised because a lot of kids would relate with me because we all kind of, a lot of us here grew up in hard times. Some of you maybe even harder than myself, but as a kid, you know, kind of self-centered, you think you have, the, you have it the worst. And I know that's not true. Uh, but I said, when I grow up, I'm going to make a lot of money. And I'm going to support my parents. I'm going to give them whatever they want. <laughs> and I asked, after I, 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 I started making money, um, my mom was like, pay tithe to me. I was like, well, you're not God. <laughs> but I would pay tithe to God and also pay tenth to my parents. And I would ask my dad and my mom, I said, what is it that you want? You want a cruise? I'm going to send you on a cruise. As, first, as soon as I got my first paycheck, of course, I gave it to the Lord as hungum, as offering, right? And the second paycheck I got, I, uh, I sent them on this cruise, like a seven-day cruise, I flew him down to, I think it was Miami or something, and the cruise left. And I just wanted to do that for them, you know? And I wanted to make them proud. <laughs> and after a while, I asked them, what do you want? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to work hard because you worked hard for me. <sighs> and they said, <laughs> excuse me. This is embarrassing. <clears throat> I only weep with the gospel, so... This is, this is not me really weeping. <laughs> There's a lot of dust in this air. Uh, so we need an air filter or something. <laughs> but I said, what do you want? And they said, we want you to be a pastor. I said, no. You crazy. <laughs> uh, long story short, here I am. <laughs> That's my testimony. Uh, was close today's service. Um, anyway, Joseph himself couldn't just let it go either. And you can tell. It's small. We can kind of miss it. But if we miss it, I think we miss a huge part. And if we're going to end Act 1 before the intermission, this is the kind of, um, kind of like an open part of the plot and story. It doesn't end here. We're like, whoa, what's going on? Why did he do that? 
You have to also wonder why this happened. One thing that we have to realize is that leadership cannot be taken on by one person by themselves. Leadership is heavy, yes, but one person can't take it. Not even someone as amazing and talented with the best character, with the highest competency as Joseph. You have to start wondering, though, why, why does the Bible talk about Joseph so much, though? I, I get it. Twelve chapters for Abraham, because he's the father, the patriarch that starts all this, the father of faith. Uh, Twelve chapters for Jacob, because he has so much drama. There's a lot of drama in Jacob's life. And we go into Joseph. Joseph has 13 chapters, but he's not even part of the line. We went over this. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then it's Judah. It's not even Joseph. Why is there so much devotion of, the, of this book of Genesis to Joseph? And then once we see the life of Christ and we read about Jesus Christ, we see there is an uncanny, amazing comparison between Joseph and the one who is to come. They were both loved by their father. They were both hated by their brothers. They both knew of the coming glory. They both endured unjust punishment from their brothers. They were both sentenced into the pit, delivered into the pit, though even though the leader knew that they were innocent and they should go free. They were both sold for pieces of silver. They were both handed over to Gentiles. They were both regarded as dead, but raised out of the pit. They actually both went to Egypt. They were both tempted severely, but did not sin. They were both falsely accused. They made no defense. They cast into prison with sinners and criminals. They endured unjust punishment from Gentiles. They were associated with two other criminals. One is pardoned. One is not. Some associate the butler with wine and the baker with the bread. And that's communion. Along the same lines, some associate the three-day period where there was their case before they needed to be resolved with the three days of the resurrection of Jesus. They are both shown to have divine wisdom. They are both recognized as having the Spirit of God. They are both betrayed by their friends. They were both glorified after their humility. They were both given a Gentile bride. And they were both 30 years old when they began their life's work. There's also something else that's very similar. When Joseph was to be second in command, the prime minister, Pharaoh sent out chariots proclaiming that he is going to be a ruler. Only I am above him. 
In Mark chapter 11, 1 to 10, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. You see, Pharaoh is the one that empowers Joseph. It's Pharaoh that gives Joseph the chariot. So even though Joseph rose to power, Pharaoh was above him. When Jesus rides in, it's not a chariot, but this time it's a donkey symbolizing peace and not a forceful entry. Not only that, no one gives him the donkey. He claims the donkey because no one is crowning him. He is king. He is God. And when they went away, they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought back the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Joseph could not save himself. No matter how high of a position he had, no matter how much money he made, it did not save him from his troubles or his burdens. It's something that he could not bear on his own. He was smart enough to use economics like we said last week, politics, he had the charisma, he had competency, ultimately he had character. But politics is not God. Politics won't save us. Joseph could not bear the full burden on his own. There are burdens that you cannot fathom, that you cannot bear alone. During World War II, Winston Churchill, and many of us know this is now made into a movie, um, Winston Churchill was forced to make a painful choice. Uh, the British Secret Service had broken the Nazi code and informed Churchill that the Germans were going to bomb Coventry. Uh, he had two alternatives then. Evacuate the citizens and save hundreds of lives at the expense of indicating to the Germans that the code was broken or take no action which would kill hundreds, but keep the information flowing and possibly save many more lives. And Churchill had to choose one or the other. And history, we know that he chose the second course. And hundreds died. No one could bear the burdens of leadership. No one can. In fact, what surprises me is when people covet it. You want to be a deacon or an elder. People, people will joke. 
Uh, even in this place, it's like, oh, I never want to be an elder. That's crazy. But then secretly, if they don't get chosen as elder, they might be a little hurt. Or even a deacon. You know, it's about time I become a deacon. I think it's about time. A little realizing that the weight and burden of leadership is incredible. But there was one that bore it. And he didn't have to because he was perfect. But he loved us so much that he took on our sins as his burden. And he rode into Jerusalem. This is what we celebrate today. And people knew, I can't take this burden. I can't do this on my own. There is no way I can relieve this heaviness in my heart. Someone come save me. And so that's what they were shouting. Hosanna in the highest. Here is someone that is saying, I will come and save. So Hosanna. They waved their branches and spread allegiance to him because he is saying, I can take on the burdens and I will do it for you. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not on a chariot, but on a donkey of humble position in service to us. What an incredible God and King we serve. This is the beginning of Holy Week. And I pray that we as a church, we can take this seriously. This is Holy Week because we want to walk and remember all the things that Jesus did for us as he journeyed to the cross. People think and mistakenly say that the Gospels are Jesus' biography. It is not. The Gospels aren't Jesus' biography. If it was Jesus' biography, it would tell us everything about Jesus from his birth to the end. But in fact, the very beginning of his first 30 years, there's very relatively very little mentioned. In fact, all of the Gospels are about the three years he did ministry, but even more so, the chunk, the vast big chunk of even that is about this week. The four Gospel writers put everything in this week because it was that important. And that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering this week. And I pray that whether you're fasting and feasting, whatever it is that you're doing, do it for the Lord. Remember Jesus this week. Remember what he did for us. And let's do it together as a church. Let's pray.